let's pray for the word then. Father, tonight we thank you for the word. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. It's it's a light. Thank you, Lord, that it guides us, and thank you that it's a living word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you spent all that time through all those men, and you gave us this word, basically your love letter to us. And I pray tonight that we get revelation from what you have to say. We give you thanks and we give you praise for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 A couple of weeks ago, well, a week and a half ago, we had the Super Bowl. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Some of you don't care. Some of you don't know who was in the Super Bowl. Some of you have been like me. You've watched all 58 of those Super Bowls. <laughs> and you, and you, you know, I know back when we pastored in Dumas, we, I just was so thankful for VCRs in those days because <laughs> we had church on Sunday night. But I tell you what, we... The rule at our church was you could not talk about the game even if you knew about it. <laughs> and so we would go home at, at, on Sunday night and guys from the church would come over and we'd watch the Super Bowl like it was live and have a Super Bowl party that was a, hour, a couple hours after it was over. Anyway, we had it. and One time somebody called it the ultimate game. The ultimate game. And then a guy from Dallas named Dwayne Thomas, this was years ago, he said, if it's the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? So it might not be the ultimate game. However, it is the biggest event on television. We know that for sure. Especially this year because the singer and the football player, I mean, they're, they're the singer's fans and the football player's fans. and all, oh Man, there were all those people. In fact, it was so big. A 30-second commercial, 30-second national commercial was $7 million. That's over $233,000 a second. $7 million for a 30-second commercial. That is a lot of money. Now, you tell me that it doesn't make a difference what we hear. Those people who are putting on those commercials, they're banking on the fact that what you hear affects what you do and how you, how you react to different things. $7 million a year. You know, for me, you know, my team hadn't been to the Super Bowl in a long time. I'm a Cowboys fan and been that way for my whole life, and it seems like. And so, you know, I, I just was, I was a fan when Don Meredith played for them, and Tom Landry was the coach. And, you know, I heard a story about a fan who was at a Cowboys game at AT&T Stadium, and they were sold out. They're watching the game, and the guy looks down, and he's in about 10 rows down below him. He sees an empty seat. And there's a guy down there sitting in the seat. And there's a, sitting, and there's an empty seat next to him. And so, so he he gets up and goes down and says, "Excuse me, sir, is somebody sitting in that seat?" And he says, "No, no, not not today." He said, "I've been a fan. I've never missed a Cowboys game since Don Meredith was 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 the quarterback." And and so the guy said, "Well, I'm so sorry. I mean, who was the seat for?" He said, "Well, that was for my wife, and and she died." And he said, "Well, I'm so sorry. I mean." You'd think you could find a relative or somebody who could come and go to the game with you today. He said, oh, no, I couldn't. They're all at the funeral. Anyway, <laughs> that's a pretty sold out. That's a pretty big fanatic, you know, when you're that way. We need to be devoted to, to God the way some people are devoted to the Cowboys or to the, 
whoever else they're devoted to out there. We, we, a lot of people are fair weather Christians, but we need to be, we need to be sold out to him. Not weird. Too many Christians are just weird, but we need to be loyal to him. I mean, absolutely loyal and devoted to him. So I'm going to read you a passage of scripture we've read the last couple of weeks. This is from Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse 22. And I'm not going to read the whole passage tonight, but it says Jesus has come and a guy's son has, has, a, has a demon that throws him into the fire, throws him in the water, all kinds of bad things going on with this kid. And, and the disciples tried to cast it out because Jesus wasn't there. <clears throat> and so the guy says, I brought him to you. And then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I'm going to ask you the question again. Do we believe what Jesus said there? What all things is he talking about? He's talking about all things that God has promised in his word. That's why when we pray, we pray the word. Because all all that the Word promises us is possible. All right? So we're, we've been talking about belief, what we believe. So we're going to continue to look, look at this subject of what we believe. Talk about faith. But we have to remember, first of all, that faith is not getting God to give us what we want. Faith is God getting us to the place to provide Him what He wants with our lives. To believe Him for the manifestation of His Word to be brought into in and through our lives so that God can get what he wants. Kind of like Jesus sending the guys out to get the donkey for him. Somebody had to go get the donkey. You and I have something God wants to get in this earth. Okay, I'm not talking about name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. I'm talking about what Jesus said, believing and receiving. Mark 11, 24, Jesus said, Whatever things, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. We need to believe so we can receive what God has promised us. Okay, so I'm going to talk about what believing is. What does it even look like to be a believer? What, well, how do you know if you're in faith for something? How do you know that? How do you know if you're believing God? How do you know if you're believing Him for what He said? So we're going to talk about that just a little bit tonight. Before we get back into that passage, we'll talk a bit more about that passage again next time. But how do you even know? If you're believing God, sometimes we think we're believing, but we're not. But how do we know? How do we know? I'm going to tell you one thing that faith is not. One thing that believing is not. It is not a life without problems. A lot of us have the idea that I have, if, if I just believe God, I won't have to go through any trials in my life. <clears throat> I believe Jesus was believing God when he got on the boat with the guys. And a storm came. He was in faith. The storm was not provided by God, but provided by the devil. Jesus had faith in what God said. And God's word to Jesus was, go to the other side. Jesus knew that's what was going to happen. And so they got to go to the other side. The storm came. The disciples came to Jesus. They woke him up and said, don't you care that we're dying? And But what was the word of God? The word of God was, we're going to the other side. The purpose of faith now is not to get in fear with the disciples, but to get to the other side in spite of the storm. And so Jesus got up, rebuked the storm, and then looked at them and asked them a question. 
Where is your faith? That's what he asked them. He anticipated that they would have enough faith in what he said to rebuke the storm, to get through the storm to the other side. Having a storm doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. It means you probably are in the will of God because the devil's going to do everything he can to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. So it's not faith. It's not an absence of storms. It is the presence of storms, and it's getting through the storm to the other side of it. It's walking through the valley of the shadow of death and not encamping there. It's understanding what God has said. So I'm going to read you an unusual passage of Scripture here. And we're going to talk about how do I even know if I, if I am believing God? How do I know it? <clears throat> Numbers chapter 21, verse, beginning in verse 4. It says, And they, talking about the children of Israel, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to encompass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now, isn't that a verse to hang your hat on? They were discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much of the people of Israel died therefore the people came to Moses and said we have sinned do you think maybe they figured this one out we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us and Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee a, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, he shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, and he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now that is an unusual passage when we're going to talk about believing God. All right. The, what happens here is the people have just defeated one of the Canaanite armies and destroyed their cities. And so they've been in the wilderness for almost 40 years now. And so most of them that are going to die have already died. Some of them are dying right now with the fiery serpents. They're tired. <clears throat> they want to see changes. The scripture says they became discouraged. The word discouraged means to be short, be impatient, be vexed, or be grieved. I mean, they're traveling. They whip this other guy, these other guys, they're right near going to the promised land, and then they turn back and go back into the wilderness. And they're frustrated. I mean, they're frustrated. They're tired of Moses not telling them to go to the promised land. They're tired of the whole thing. They're tired. They want to see some changes. They're discouraged. All right? So apparently there were some just struggles here in this particular place they're walking besides the snakes. And, I mean, they're ready for something new. The Amplified says, The people became impatient, depressed, and much discouraged because of the trials of the way. So their discouragement, like all good Christians, led them to murmuring. They began to complain. They were discouraged, and they began to gripe about the Lord and gripe about Moses. Neither of those was a good choice. They're mad at God and they're mad at the preacher because it wasn't going the way it was supposed to go. And you already noticed God doesn't take it well when his people complain. 
They murmured. They complained. They griped about everything. Why did you bring us out of Egypt so that we would die in the wilderness? Moses, this is your fault. They've been following the guy for decades, and they're still complaining, and still it's Moses' fault that people are dying in the wilderness. <coughs> then they go on to, they have another gripe. <clears throat> There's nothing here that we can make bread out of. In other words, they want bread like Mama used to make or some other kind of bread that other nations have. They begin to gripe because they can't make any bread. Then they begin to gripe because they don't have a consistent source of water. They've never died of thirst in all these years, and now they're complaining because they don't have a consistent source of water. In other words, they're not in control of getting water when they want to. They have to depend upon God, and they're mad about it. And then, above all... <clears throat> They said, we're sick and tired of this manna. They're talking about the light bread. They're talking about the light bread. That's the manna. What does the word manna mean? It means, what is it? We're tired of what is it? Well, they don't even know the name of this stuff. We're, we're tired of it. We're t- we loathe it. We're sick and tired of it. That's interesting. The Bible calls it angel's bread. <laughs> It's the bread that God provides from heaven. And the people are complaining about God daily providing for them because it's not what they want to have today. They're griping about it. They're griping about angels' bread. We're tired of this light bread. The word light here means contemptible, worthless. They say, we're tired of this worthless. What is it? We're tired of that. We're tired of having that every day. But the Bible said when you cooked it, it would taste like whatever you wanted it to taste like, basically. It says they loathed it. The word loathe means to be disgusted, to abhor, to, to, to be vexed, to be weary. We are vexed with this manna that you are giving us every day freely. Isn't that an amazing thing? That they would gripe about it. Can you believe that kind of attitude? Man, they're just griping about it. I mean, I would never do that, would you? Oh, really? Christians still get discouraged because things and other people disappoint them. They still get discouraged. They get discouraged because they don't understand why they're going through what they're going through. Don't understand why God is sending them in this direction. Why are they going that way? Why is God doing this to me? In fact, my life is so bad, the preacher didn't even call me this week. I'm just going to, I'm going to quit on God. Oh, that's going to be a good choice, right? Let's see how far that gets us. And, so, and we, we cry because it's taken so long. I gave in the offering. And look at what's happening. It's still not even working yet. I, and I gave in the offering. I was watching that TV preacher. He said, if I give him $1,000, then all my problems will be solved in 2024. And we're already two months into it. And they're still worse than they were. And they begin to complain about everything. Everything that's going on. They complain about God, His leadership. I mean, all of a sudden... <laughs> they've been going to the same church for years and these miracle messages that the pastor used to preach that brought them life, that brought them freedom. Now all of a sudden, they are tired of it. They, want, they, they don't want the light bread anymore. They want something better than what he's doing. They need something more and they complain about that. 
Can I just tell you something? When you begin to complain, you need to look around because you're getting ready to get bit into butt. I'm just going to tell you right now. Flying snakes are getting ready to come after you. may not be those physical ones, but they're getting ready to come. It says they were fiery serpents. These aren't mythical. These are the real deal. These are real snakes with real venom that threw themselves from trees, from rocks, and they would fly onto people and they would bite them. I mean, it says the Lord sent the snakes in the King James. Literally, in the original language, it says the Lord allowed them or opened the way for them. Apparently, they're walking through and the snakes have been there the whole time and God's been protecting them from the snakes. And they're griping about the manna, and they're griping about Moses, and they're griping about God, and God says, well, okay, see what that does for you. And he says, okay, snakes, you, I guess you can do what you want to now. And the snakes now start flying at these people. Flying snakes are jumping on them. I mean, and, and, and they're, just, they're just there. They're fiery serpents because the venom that they carried was so fiery. The people had unquenchable thirst and, and they were dying with this tortured pain and immense thirst and like they were on fire. It was a terrible thing. I mean, fiery serpents. And, and so all of a sudden, they realize when they're seeing the serpents jump from trees and rocks and bushes onto people, they realize maybe they made a mistake in complaining about God. At least they were smart enough to figure that out. I know people who've been in it for decades and never quit complaining. And they're getting bit by fiery serpents all the time. And they just keep doing it and doing it. But finally, they repented. They asked Moses to pray for them. And why would they do that? Well, because he's done it before. I mean, a couple other times God said, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'm going to kill all of them and start over with you. And Moses, if y'all know that God did that. (laughs) And Moses prayed. And the Bible says that the Lord repented. Doesn't mean he Repenting because he was sinning, but he changed his mind and said, okay. And basically it's like, okay, I won't kill them. I'll spare them. But they knew that Moses had prayed for them in the past and that God had answered his prayer. So they, so, so he, God loved them. He loves Moses. He loves his word. And he's going to keep his word and get them into the promised land. Notice they asked God, they asked Moses, or they asked that God would remove the snakes But he did not do that. Because in their mind, that's the logical answer. God removed the snakes. But that isn't what God did. He provided an answer to the snake bites. Wouldn't it have been better if he had just removed the snakes? I mean, that would have been better. Then they could have griped about that again. I don't know what they would have griped about. But no, he didn't remove that. He just provided an answer for the bites, which is an important thought. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. God will never, in our lifetimes, until Jesus comes back, remove sin from the world. He's not going to take sin out of the world. It's here. It'll always be here. You know why? Because everybody has a free choice. As long as there's flesh, as long as there's curse, there's going to be sin. But what he did was he provided an answer to the sin that we encounter. That's a great picture, huh? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. It's still here. The sin is here. So Moses, 
And we just read it. It was instructed to make a snake like the one that was biting the people and put it on a pole. Now, of all the things, if I was God, that I would do, that was not going to be it. Moses, I want you to make a snake, put it on a pole. <laughs> and it's like, how is that going to be the answer? How would, that, how would that even be the answer? I mean, but he did it. And it had to be pretty big because, I mean, there are like six million people out there and they got to get to where they can see it. They have to see the snake on the pole. If you got bit by a snake, the answer was look at the snake on the pole. You had to look at the snake. That doesn't even make, does that make sense? Look at a snake to be healed of a snake bite. Doesn't make any sense to me. All right. So that's what he had to do. I mean, it's strange, but the only way you're going to survive a snake bite of this kind is to look at the snake on the pole and you're going to be healed. Two things happen together. You're going to be forgiven of the murmuring and you're going to be healed of the sin. Do you realize those two things are both operated by faith? Healing, salvation. That's why Jesus, when they lowered the man through the roof, remember that story? They lower the guy through the roof. And, and Jesus looks at him. He sees what's going on. They get the man. He's paralyzed. He's a paraplegic. Jesus looks at him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And what the Pharisees do? They begin to complain. And they said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, this is my paraphrase, I'm glad you figured that one out. <laughs> just so you will know that I have authority in the earth to forgive sins, I'm going to say to this man, take up your bed and walk. Which is easier? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? What was Jesus saying? They're the same to me. I can do them both. They're both accomplished the same way. The man's faith got him in this room. His faith is getting ready to get him healed. His faith got his sins forgiven. And he said, so son, take up your bed and walk because they're the same thing. That's what this, that's what, this is a picture of that, that basic thing as well. They were forgiven and they were healed. But you had to look at a snake on a pole. <laughs> Isn't that something? So I want to see something today. I want, to, I want to look at something here about believing. How, does, how do you know if you're believing? Let me read you this passage from John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he said... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about everlasting life. He refers to this passage. Now, if you had never read any of the Bible before, and you only read those two scriptures, what kind, what kind of con conclusion could you draw? In Numbers, it says you look at the snake and you're healed. In John, it says believe in that snake and you have eternal life. So here's what I want us to, to see something here. The Bible is filled with 
things about faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says faith is the way to please the Father. The Bible tells us the just shall live by faith, mentioned several times in the Bible. So let's look, about, let's look at something here. In Numbers, it said anyone who looks at the serpent shall live. Just look at the serpent and you will live. You don't want to be hard-headed this time. You don't want to go, that's stupid. That's stupid. I'm not looking at a snake on a pole. That's pagan. I'm not doing that. No. If you want to live, you're just going to look at the snake on the pole. All right. You, it says you shall live. The word when it says whoever looketh at it, it means to see, to look at, inspect, perceive, consider. And anybody that beheld the serpent, he lived. The word beheld is the same word. It means to look intently at something. In John, Jesus said that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believeth, whoever believeth would have life. In the Old Testament, you had to look. In the New Testament, you have to believe. I hope you're getting, you're getting this is really important. This is how you're going to know. This is the first thing you have to know. How you're going to know if you really believe something. People who are walking by faith, they're looking at something. Believing is looking at something. Believing is seeing something. Believing is having a vision for what you're believing for. Believing isn't wondering if I'm believing. Believing is looking at something. Jesus told us that. See, we understand that real faith is the continual gazing at the Word of God and not at the problems and circumstances. Real faith is looking at what God said, continually looking at what God said, not looking to see if the money has sprouted up from the seed you've sown, not looking to see if the sickness is gone, but looking at God's promise. That's how you know if you're believing. You're continually looking at the Word in spite of looking at the circumstances. Peter walked out there on the water with Jesus, and when he looked away from Jesus, he saw the Word. He saw the, 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 the waves were boisterous and the wind was blowing. He began to sink because he took his eyes off of what he was believing and began to look at the circumstances that were around him. When you think about looking at things, you have an eye and you look at things, but can I tell you something you never look at? Your eye. You look through it to see it. You're not looking at your eye, though. You look at the thing that you're looking at. The eye never sees itself. Faith is the same thing. Faith Belief is always engaged in beholding the object of faith, the scripture. What did God say? That's what faith is always looking at. It's always looking at what God said, not at itself. You see, the devil has worked really hard to make you look at being sin conscious, looking at your sin looking at your shortcoming, looking at your being self-conscious. It's about you, and you're looking at you when you need to be looking at what did God say. Jesus became a curse for me instead of me, was made to be a curse, that I might be 
made to have the blessing of Abraham. What am I looking at? Am I looking at maybe it's not going to work? No, no. I'm going to look at what he said. Whatever he said. Believe has vision. It sees what God has said. It always sees the word. When the word says, believeth, Jesus who, who, who believeth, that's the same as the word faith. It means to be sold out to something, to give absolute credence to a thing. To believe is to see the word and only consider its fulfillment. That's how you know you're believing. That's all you're looking at is just the word. It's to focus on the promise, not looking at what will happen if it doesn't come to pass. What will I do? If, I, if this doesn't work, there's no plan B. If you believe, there's no plan B. I mean, man, it's like praying for rain. You better take your umbrella because you know there's no plan B. You know that what God said is true. The scripture says in Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusteth in thee. If we believe God, we will have Perfect peace, the phrase is shalom, shalom. It's only used twice that way in the scripture. Shalom, shalom. Complete, completeness. Absolutely nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom, shalom. He will keep us in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. When our mind, our focus is stayed on Him, then we'll have nothing missing. Absolutely nothing missing. See, believing is always seeing. Always having the vision. Always having our gaze fixed on God. All right? So, that's the first thing. If you really believe something, you're going to have vision for what God said. Second thing you're going to have. How about this passage of Scripture? This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.13. We, having the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Now he's quoting David from, from Psalm 116, verse 10. He said, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Paul's statement here was made in light of the fact that even though the circumstances weren't lining up with the Word of God, he was going to stay in faith because his focus was on the promise and the result was that his words would line up and agree with what he's focused on. Here's how you know if you're believing. You're going to see it, and you're going to say it. The apostle said uh, in verse 18, he said, While we look, this is impossible, what, he's, what he says here. While we look not at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen. That's impossible, isn't it? You can't look at something you can't see. Not unless you're looking with the eye of faith. When you look with faith, you can see what can't be seen. He says, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's what he's saying. Believing is looking and saying. How do you know you're in faith? How do you know you're believing? You're looking at something. You're looking at the Word. And you're saying the Word. Your confession, the word confession, Greek word is homologeo, which means to say the same thing as to say it out loud, agree and say it out loud. You're saying out loud what the Bible says about the circumstance. You see it and you look at it. David, he was similar in Psalm, in Psalm uh, 116. He said, he said, the sorrows of death had compassed him. 
The pains of hell had gotten hold of him is what he said. But his focus was on the promise of God to deliver him because he said, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. They're not going to kill me. See, if we're not looking at the word and looking at the Lord, your confession is going to give you away eventually. I mean, I can, you can talk to somebody for five minutes, you can't tell. But you can talk to somebody for an hour and you can tell whether they believe God or not. You can tell what's going on in them. You will always speak of your focus. You always, if your gaze is in the world system, that's what you're going to speak of. You're going to speak of how bad the economy is. You're going to speak about all the sin that's out there. You're going to, if, you're, if your focus is on them, if your focus is on them, but if our gaze is beholding the Lord and His promise, we're going to speak about it. We're going to talk about that. Ooh, man, when they say, well, we're going to have a recession, and you're going to say, well, they can have the recession if they want to. I'm not going to participate. <laughs> and then you go into some scripture about how that God is going to bless the seed that you sow. You talk about how that, how that the word is true regarding how God's going to take care of you. Okay, so believing is seeing and believing is saying. So that's how you know if you're in faith. Number one, you see something. It's always in your vision. Number two, that's how you talk. Because if it's always in your vision, you naturally are going to talk about it. The week before the Super Bowl that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I heard a lot of people talking about the Super Bowl. It was in their vision. They could see it. And they were telling me that Patrick Mahomes was going to win it. They had to win it because he's Patrick Mahomes. And that's what they were focused on. So they talked about it. I didn't hear many people talking about that Jesus was healing them, but I went around many sick people either. Believing is seeing it. Believing is saying it. But listen to this. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus is preaching in his house. They lower the guy through the roof I mentioned a few minutes ago. And the scripture says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus saw their faith. If I believe, I'm seeing something. If I believe, I'm saying something. If I'm believing, then it's visible. Isn't that an interesting thought? Man, he saw their faith. How did he see it? You believe on the you believe the word. You're looking at it. You're focused on the word. You're saying what you see. You're, you're continually saying what you see. And what that does is it causes you to act on what you see. Act on what you say. You begin to act a certain way. These guys, these friends of this guy said, Jesus is in that house. If we can get you into that house, you will be healed. And they didn't just sit outside and wait for somebody to say, y'all come on up to the front because we've got a handicap section right in the front. No, in those days, the handicap section was in the next county sometimes. They didn't want you near them. They figured their action took over because they believed what they saw. They believed what they heard. They climbed up on the roof. They tore a hole in the roof and they dropped their friend down through the hole. Their action spoke of what they, what they, what they believed. And it was visible to everyone else. Jesus believed their actions. They believed enough to act on what they believed to be true. They knew if they could get him there, man, they were ready to do it. Tonight, if I, if you really believe what I'm saying, and I said, I'll give a thousand dollars 
to everyone who kisses me on the cheek. And if you believed me, you'd line up to get that $1,000 because your action would correspond with what you believe. Your action always corresponds with what you believe. What you believe is visible. Everyone can see it. When we, man, we, when, we, when we believe what God said, it becomes our vision. It becomes our conversation. It becomes our action. We act on our faith because faith without works is dead. If I really believe God concerning Him telling me to give in the offering, if I really believe Him, I'm going to give and I'm going to quote Scripture. I'm going to believe what He said. I'm not going to look at the seed. I'm going to look at Him. Look at the Scripture. Look at the promise. And then I'm not worried about the rest of it. So we have to do that. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We read that last week. That's as close to a definition as you can get, but it's really talking about an action. Faith holds it up, what I believe. What I can't, what, 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 what I'm hoping for. It is the proof of what I can't see. It, it, it's difficult to define because it's better understood when you act on it. When people act on faith, now we can know it. Faith continually looks to the Word. Looks to the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. It continually speaks the promises. It acts on it. It's seeing. It's speaking. It's visible. It's always receiving what we believe for. That's why Jesus said, and I read this scripture earlier, Therefore I say to you what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Faith is, that's how we know if I, that's how I know I'm in faith. If I have vision of it, if I, am, if I am speaking it, and I'm doing it. That's how faith behaves. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we simply behold the word. We, we behold what you said. We behold the snake on the pole. We believe on the Savior on the cross. And we're forgiven and we're healed. Tonight we give you thanks and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen.